1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Skipping down to verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price, and therefore honor God with your body. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry, but since there is such immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. And the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. And in the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. So do not deprive each other, except by mutual consent for time, and so forth and so on. And uh, you can read the rest of that whole passage. It really gets into marriage there, and so I want to kind of just pause right there. Now this is, uh, we're going to talk about dating today, and, and uh, we're in a series called Real Talk about relationships. Let me turn on this microphone so I can wander around. Real Talk about relationships, and last week we started off by looking at friendships. And it also, can, you know, that was kind of the introduction of this series, and we really end up introduced the principle on which this whole series is based because we don't have time to talk about everything about marriage and everything about dating and everything about parenting and everything about friendships. Uh, you know, there's hundreds and thousands of books on those topics and we couldn't possibly cover it all in one series, much less one message on each. But what we can do is we can take each kind of relationship and hold it under this bright light of this relationship principle that we get from Jesus' teaching and say, how can we apply this to this kind of relationship in our life? And so we looked at friendship last week, and we talked also last week about why this is so important. You know, why we have a, a series on relationships and why we spend this much time talking about it. Because relationships obviously matter a lot to God. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commands were, it was loving God and, and loving each other, right? Loving other people. And somehow those two are interconnected. And we don't really understand or grasp how exactly all that works. But somehow or another, the way that we treat each other, the way that we do our relationships, is an indicator of how healthy our relationship is with God. And so it's important then that we focus and spend some time talking about how can we get better at our relationships, that's something we don't ask ourselves very often, is it? A lot of times we just kind of, we just do relationships, you know. We just do it kind of haphazardly. When was the last time, you know, you asked yourself, you know, how, what can I do to be a better friend to someone, to my friends? Or what can I do to be a better spouse to my spouse? Sometimes we need to int intentionally, you know, take a look in the mirror and see what can we improve? How can we do better? So that's what this series is about. And, and the first principle that we looked at, we actually looked at a pre-principle, something that we need to understand before we can really understand the principle. And this is just background. We need to understand that the people of this world, the way the world operates, is they regard relationships as a means to profit themselves. 
That sounds cold-hearted, as we said last week. But when you look at it, and you look at the way the world operates, we have to admit it's not just cold-hearted, it's the cold-hard truth. People in this world use other people for their own pleasure, for their own benefit, to get ahead in life, to get ahead in their job. They look for people to date and marry who are going to make them feel good and make them happy. And when that ceases to be the case, they move on to someone else that will. This is the way the world operates. It's the way the world has always operated. But Jesus' way is different. And he said that the people of the kingdom regard relationships as a means to profit others. This is radical radically different than what anyone else in the world is doing. It, it's so radical that it even feels kind of scary in your spirit, doesn't it? That, whoa, whoa now, whoa, you know, what about me? We get nervous when we start talking about doing relationships as a means to profit others. But the thing is, this is the way our Creator designed relationships to work the best. And when it's, even though it's counterintuitive, when we go ahead and take that step of faith and we start doing relationships this way, that's where we find the true happiness in life that so often we're seeking when we're doing relationships to profit ourselves. It's maybe kind of ironic that it's that way. It's a, something of a paradox that when we start focusing on others is when we finally get the peace and the happiness that we were looking for, for ourselves. So this principle is powerful, and today we're going to apply it to dating. And to do that, you know, we're going to invite a a special personality into the room. That's someone that you probably haven't heard from in quite a few years. His name is Dean. Dean. And for this, I need a jacket. Oh, I'm going to start it over. All right, you ready for this? Dean taught us that you're nobody till somebody loves you. Am I right? Well, you're nobody till somebody cares. Well, you may be king, you may possess the world and its gold, but gold can't bring you happiness when you're growing old. The world is still the same, you'll never change it. As sure as the stars shine above No, you're nobody till somebody loves you So find yourself somebody to love Hit it, boys! Okay, that's all I can do. Now, now you would have really been impressed and you would, have, you would have thought Dean was really here if I had had the bow tie and the cigarette <laughs> and the drink too. Did he always have a cigarette and a drink? He was a healthy guy. Uh, 
old Dean and Frank and the Rat Pack, and they taught us years, decades ago, generations ago, the truth that you are nobody unless somebody loves you. And this, oh, I was, I forgot all about putting his face up there. Oh, well. All right. They taught us this principle. That is what this principle basically, I mean, you know, when you apply it to, to romance, right, here's what it is. The people of the world, it's to profit themselves. And, and Dean taught us, you're nobody. Nobody. You're worthless. You're less than worthless if somebody doesn't love you. So the way to become somebody was to get somebody to love you, right? And so for generations, we've bought into this idea that you are nobody unless some... And so everybody wants to be somebody, and so everybody's looking for love. Everybody's looking for it. And at a younger and younger age, and now there's pressure... I mean, there was pressure when I was in middle school. You weren't really cool unless you were in a serious relationship in middle school. Serious. And I guarantee you it's worse than that now than it was when I was there. And so first, let's get on the same page generationally here. We're talking about dating today. Now, a few generations back, that meant going on a date, right? You, you took a date on a date, and that was the date. Well, now, dating is a term that people use more for like what you would have called going steady. All right? It's a, you, you find a girlfriend or a boyfriend, and if you're dating them, then that means that you are, you know, you're a thing. You're an item. You're serious. All right? And... And so there's pressure to be dating at an earlier and earlier age. And so we're going to talk about it today, uh, you know, because the pressure's on that you are nobody unless somebody loves you. And we're just going to talk about that today. And obviously this applies extra to the guys down here and sprinkled around. We have several dating eligible people. But I imagine that everyone in this room has either dated somebody or you, um, you wish you hadn't dated somebody. Or you wish you could date somebody. And so everybody in this room, you know, we can, we can understand where this is coming from. And even if you're not dating eligible and not planning to be anytime soon, chances are you know somebody who is. And maybe someday you'll get a chance to pass on some wisdom to, it, to them. And so we're just going to cover this topic today. And even if nobody uh, but our, our younger folks hear it and can get something from it, it'll be worthwhile. So we read this passage of scripture that a lot of it dealt with sexual immorality and I just want to let you know up front this is not going to be a sex talk so you can just relax a little bit about that. <laughs> Everyone's breathing a sigh of relief. You know we'll touch on the topic briefly but this is not about that. But there aren't very many passages of scripture that deal with dating the way that we do dating because people didn't do dating the way we do dating when the Bible was written. But this Scripture had several, the, what, the passage we read had several verses that I want to pull to the forefront as we talk about dating in today's culture and society. And the first verse I want to just bring forward is this. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Apostle Paul mentioned that in what we read in the reason I want to say this first, these aren't going to go in any particular order. We're going to kind of jump around with the verses. But I wanted this to be first because some of the things I'm going to say about dating today are going to sound completely unrealistic. 
Because the way the world does dating now, it just isn't like this, what we're going to talk about today. And so, you know, so it's going to be the tendency for some of you who are in the dating world right now to say, all right, you're out of touch, Pastor Neil. You don't know what it's like in this world. You don't know what it's like to be uh, dating out there right now. You don't get it. And so I wanted to point this out first because here's the deal. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, when you stood up in this baptistry or one like it, you were, you died to your old self. And you were raised up into a new way of life with Jesus. Living his way. Well, the way the Apostle Paul put it, you're not your own anymore. And you don't belong to the world anymore either. You were paid, <laughs> Jesus paid quite a price for you. And why did he pay that price? Surely it wasn't so that we could go on living in the same self-destructive ways that the world does. And so I just want to challenge you up front before you write anything that I say off today. Just remember, you're not your own anymore. And you don't belong to this world anymore either. And there's a lot of things that this world does and says are the best and wisest way to do that God says, no, they're not. And as God's people, as people who were purchased at a very steep price, we have to do things God's way, even if it means that we stick out like a sore thumb sometimes, even if it's not popular, etc. Now that we have that out of the way, let's keep going. It's good for a man not to marry. (laughs) Now all the married men here are thinking, now hang on a second. The preacher told me it was good to get married, and here now you're telling me it's not. So let's put this in context a little bit before we get into it anymore. Paul was writing this letter to the church in Corinth at a time when there was persecution. And he said several times that it would be his recommendation, his opinion, his advice that they not marry right now. He goes on, though, to say that, hey, if you can't control yourselves, go ahead and get married. (laughs) But, you know, just let's look. uh, I'm just going to read you a a verse or two here as we talk about this from a little bit further down in the chapter than we were able to get. And in chapter 7, verse 26, he gives us some context. And he says, because of the present crisis, they were dealing with a crisis. I think it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Well, don't seek a divorce. But if you're not married, don't look for a wife. And he goes on to talk about how, you know, if you, you got enough, basically saying you got enough to worry about right now as a Christian in this day, in this present crisis, to use his words, without having a family to worry about as well. So if you're not married, don't get married. Because then when you're trying to be bold for your faith in Jesus and they come to persecute you, you're going to be worried about your family and your spouse and what are they going to do to them. And he said, it's just better in this present crisis. So you see the context in which this was written. 
So that's the context. But I also want us to see how far we've come from the Apostle Paul's way of thinking. So I just want to move on down a little bit and read something else he said about it, though. He pointed out that an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world and how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. And he goes on to say the exact same thing about ladies. I forgot to read the verse that said, uh, it is better for you if you... How, how did he say that? Hang on, this is good stuff. Those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Can I get an amen on that one? <laughs> That's the first I forgot to mention. I just thought that was hilarious. <laughs> but do you see how far we've... The Apostle Paul mentioned... He said, you know, if you marry, if you don't marry, then, you're, then you can be wholeheartedly devoted to following God. If you do marry, your, your loyalty is going to be kind of split because you're going to have to care for your spouse in addition to serving the Lord. Now, Paul's a little bit biased because he was a single guy. But, you know, so was Jesus, single guy. How did we get from the teaching of the early church that it was perfectly fine to not be married. In fact, it might be advantageous to you to not be married for your faith, for your life, to a point where we bought into the Dean Martin slogan, you're nobody unless somebody loves you. I just want to ask, how did we come that far? Because while we can blame the world in part, for pressuring our kids to get into serious relationships at an earlier and earlier age, part of that blame lies with us. Because we put the pressure on them. You dating anybody? Why not? Hey, you must be beating the boys off with a stick. <laughs> you know, we have all these things that we ask. And I remember, as you know, especially once I got to high school and in college, if I wasn't dating someone then it was like a crisis for all my family members and the church. You know, what is going on here? we got to find this fellow somebody. And it was, you know, I spent a lot of my time in those years just feeling like a loser because <laughs> apparently I'm supposed to be dating somebody all the time. I'm supposed to be finding that one. I'm supposed to, and if I'm not, then I'm nobody. Because that's all anyone's concerned about. So I just want to say to us as the church, let's let off on the pressure a little bit. There is nothing wrong with being single. In fact, some of our folks who are single here today and have been for a long time have an advantage over some of us in their faith because they can be wholly devoted to God in a way that we may never understand, those of us that are married. So there's advantages both ways. There is nothing wrong with being single and there is nothing wrong with being married. And if we could grasp that, then I think it would go better for our kids. And maybe the, the kids who are in the church would stop buying in so much to this lie that the world says that you're nobody unless somebody loves you. And you need to be in a serious relationship at an earlier and earlier age. That's what our kids are being taught. And we need to make sure that we're not part of the problem. Another verse. 
says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Notice that the first part's in quotes. So Paul is quoting somebody. Maybe it was him. Maybe he said this at some point and now it's being taken out of context by the church there. Or maybe this is like a false teaching that's becoming popular and he's wanting to squelch it. Whatever the case is, he brings this up. He says, everything's permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. He's pointing out to him that, hey, you guys have been saying this. You know, everything's permissible. You've been excited about your newfound freedom in Christ. See, especially for the Jewish Christians, they had been under the burden of the law. The hundreds of laws that said, you've got to wash your hands like this. And you've got to, you know, only t- count your steps on without a pedometer even in those days count your steps on the sabbath day make sure you don't overexert your you know work quota for that day you got all these rules that they had to go by all the time and now all of a sudden they had newfound freedom in christ everything's permissible and paul reminds them not everything is beneficial in other words if we ask the question what is permissible for me as a christian we're asking the wrong question. And so those of you who are dating or going to be dating, you know, and you're in this relationship and, and there's pressure to get more and more serious, the question is not, what's permissible for me? What am I allowed to do? The question is, what is beneficial? It's a whole different question. And it takes some wisdom It takes some discerning. And this kind of leads us back to our principle, doesn't it? That the world, you know, regards things as a means to profit themselves, but we are trying to profit or benefit others. And here's this talking about what is beneficial. What's beneficial? Beneficial for whom? It's time to get this, you know, real practical. Boiled down to, you know, how are we going to apply these truths in our lives and for dating. And we had a question last week that really clarified it on, for friendships. And we said, you know, how do you benefit your friends? What do your friends get out of being friends with you? How does it benefit them to be friends with I mean, you know, what do you, I know you're a great person and all and it's, you know, anyone would be just privileged to be your friend. But really, what do your friends get out of being friends with you? And so we need to get down to a similar question that's going to help, help us see how we can apply this principle of benefiting others to the subject of dating. And to do that, there's, there's one more verse that I really think gives us a clue. This is what it says. It's going to sound like we're talking about marriage all of a sudden, but just hang in there with me. It says, The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. And in the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also his wife. This is one of the teachings of the Bible that when a man and a woman get married, they become one flesh. They're no longer just their own person. They belong to each other. So, what is our question when we're dating? First, there's a couple of wrong questions. The most obvious wrong question is, how do I benefit from dating this person? 
this boy, this girl, this is you know, how the world thinks. How do I benefit from dating this person? And what happens when you ask this question, as most of the world does, it leads to problems. Because, for one, you learn uncommitment. All right? You're not learning anything about commitment. You're learning the opposite of commitment. You're looking for what benefits you. And like we said, it's when it, when it stops to benefit you, you find someone else that benefits you. And you start learning this cycle that some people carry on through their whole lives long. A similar question that also leads to similar effects. It's also a wrong question. Is how does my boyfriend or my girlfriend benefit from this? That might seem like the right question at first because we're trying to benefit others. You know, we talked about how do our friends benefit from being friends with us. But this is still the wrong question. And it would still lead you to a lot of the same places. Because that boyfriend or girlfriend, they may be saying things that they think would benefit them. (laughs) That are the same things you think will benefit you. And it may not be God's things. And when we date and we ask ourselves the questions, what benefits me, what benefits them? That's what leads us down all these crazy roads that we go down. And that's what leads in the end to things like unwanted pregnancies and STDs and, all, and just broken hearts, broken lives. A greater and greater inability to ever achieve intimacy with someone because your trust gets stomped on over time because you gave yourself to someone more than you should have. So we don't ask, these are the wrong questions. So what are the right questions? The first right question is this. How will my future spouse benefit from the way that I date this boy or this girl? How will my future spouse Benefit, And if you want to fill in your blanks, especially those of you who are dating eligible, even if you don't normally fill in the blanks, fill in the blanks today. And in a second, we're going to get to some practical kind of quick tips. And uh, you can fill those out on the back, any that you feel like you want to save and remember and apply. How will my future spouse benefit from how I date this boy or this girl and the other one is like it it says how will my boyfriend or girlfriend's future spouse benefit from the way we do this relationship now the one catch with this is don't sell yourself on the lie of I mean, it may not even be a lie, but on the whole thing of, well, this is the person I'm going to marry. Well, this is, you know, this is my soulmate. I know I'm in sixth grade, but this is it. <laughs> but even if you're in, in college, it ain't done till it's done. And you don't know what may happen. You may get run over by... You know, an airplane tomorrow. I don't know. (laughs) You you don't know what may happen to you. And then how did that relationship that you were in benefit your boyfriend or girlfriend's future spouse? 
Because you're not their spouse until you're their spouse. And so until that day when the rings are exchanged and the deal is done and the paper is signed, you're operating under the, the concept that they may have a future spouse different than you. And you may have a future spouse different from them. And so the question is, the way I do this relationship, the way I do dating, how is that going to benefit our future spouses? Because someday I'm not going to be just my own guy anymore, just my own girl anymore. I'm going to be, I'm going to be one flesh with somebody else. I'm going to belong to them and they're going to belong to me. And so I need to be focused on becoming the right person instead of finding the right person. See, everyone in the world is looking at, they're trying to find the right person to marry instead of trying to become the right person to marry. And so they don't prepare for a healthy marriage and then they're shocked when they don't have a healthy marriage. We seem to think that we can date the world's way and then marry God's way. Have you noticed that? I mean, in the church, this has infiltrated the church. We think that we can date, I mean, you look at the statistics, and we, we have the same mode of operation. We date the same way that, that the world dates. And then a lot of times we end up with the same marriage kind of statistics that the world ends up with sometimes. Not quite as bad, but worse than it ought to be. And we wonder why. But we never prepared to do marriage God's way. And we get this in every other aspect of life. I mean... If you've got, you got a marathon to run, you have to prepare for the marathon. You know, if you just promise, I'm going to win this marathon, and you don't prepare, what good are your promises? If you promise, I'm going to get a 36 on the ACT, but you don't study, good luck. <laughs> it's probably not going to happen unless you just, you know, happen to be genius. So, why don't we get this with dating and marriage? We think that we can date the world's way and then get a godly marriage. We show up at the church and we say all the right words and the vows and we do it with a preacher. And we're ready to do commitment and marriage the way God intended it. But we never prepared like that. And so I want to challenge you today to become the kind of person that your future spouse would want to marry. So we're going to look at some, kind of some quick tips. And my slideshow may not be right. Okay, we're going to have to wing this on the fly. All right, we're going to leave it on the, let the summary stay on the summary. There you go. We'll just leave it there. Like I say, computer problems this week. So the first one. And guys, take notes on this. If you on the back, there's plenty of room. Any of these that you think might you might better write down and remember, go for it. Prepare by these are ways you can prepare for marriage. Prepare by living without debt. D E B T. <laughs> debt. Now, why does that matter? Well, in marriage, one of the common problems that people have one of the most common problems is money problems and a lot of times they bring those problems into the marriage to start with with school debt credit card debt car payments and you start off with this 
burden already tied around your neck. So, if you're not married and you're thinking someday you may be, if you're already out of debt, stay out of debt. If that means you've got to work your tail off through college and take a year or two longer to do it, do it. If that means changing to a community college for a while, do it. Stay out of debt at all costs. The other thing, you know, if you, if you already have debt and you're feeling really depressed right now as I talk about this, start getting out of debt right now. And if you're not sure how to start, let me know and I'll get you some resources on how you can start. What a blessing you will be to your spouse someday if you come in without any debt. That's going to give you so much freedom. Freedom to be more generous. Freedom to live without that cloud hanging over your head all the time. Another one. Break your bad habits and make some good habits. There's, this could be a long line, but I, I'm kind of talking more than like chewing your fingernails here. Like, if you have a problem with pornography, break that habit now. Don't say, well, it'll be easier for me to break that habit when I'm married. Break it now. Prepare to be the person your spouse would want to marry. If you have a spending problem or a partying problem or, you know, whatever your problem is, Whatever your habit is, that when you're real honest with yourself and you're looking in the mirror, this is not going to be good for a marriage. Now is the time to break the habit, not then. Another way we prepare is by avoiding living together. This has become the standard in our culture. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, church. Probably you have. But the world has bought into the idea that, well, I think part of it is they've seen their parents' generations not do so good with marriage, and so they don't have a lot of faith in the institution anymore, and so they want to be real sure before they step into it. There's also this sense that we need to practice being married, so we'll be better at it when we get married. But that completely ignores reality, because all the statistics tell us that living together before you're married does not increase your chances of a successful marriage. It decreases them. Those are the stats. Those aren't my opinion. That's not the Bible's opinion. That's just reality. And the reality is that if you do that two or three times, you have next to no chance of your first marriage working out. So while the world may sell you on the idea that living together is a safer option or a better option, get you ready for what marriage is really like, that is not the way it works. And who would have thunk that God knew what he was talking about? Another one. And here's where we get all, you know, we, the world would roll its eyes at us. But practicing purity. I'm going to put that one down there too. This one also contradicts worldly wisdom. Because the idea is that, well, I mean, take it for, maybe you've heard this one. This one's maybe more commonly thrown around in public. But, you know, there's some people that don't kiss until they get married. 
And people say, oh, I just couldn't do that. Which, you know, hey, I couldn't do that. I, <laughs> I kissed Julie before we got married. But anyway, some people say, that, you know, hey, you know, you sh- I don't kiss until I'm married. People say, well, how could you do that? What if they're a terrible kisser? And then you're married to them. And you're stuck with them. And they don't know. And they're, they're, bad, they're bad kissers. <laughs> people apply the same method of thinking to their love life as well. They do. I mean, don't they? Well, I don't, I don't know if I would want to, you know, I mean, what if we get married and then we're just, we have no chemistry? Well, then I'm stuck with them and we have no chemistry. You know, but if, we, if I practice with you and it doesn't work out, at least I'm practiced up, I'm getting better. It'll be better for my spouse someday. People believe this lie, people. But come on now. When have you ever heard a spouse say, Honey, I'm so glad you slept around all those years. Never. (laughs) No one says that. Work on becoming the kind of spouse that your spouse would want someday. And here's the reality. Is that purity even if it seems old-fashioned, is what paves the way to true intimacy. And impurity paves the way to a lack of intimacy. It erodes your ability to ever have true intimacy. Because there's something about Saving something for someone that provides a level of intimacy that the world will never know. The people who do relationships God's way, the way that our Creator intended it to be done, experience marriage, the intimacy of marriage, in a beautiful way that the world just won't get. So here's my advice to you on that is, Postpone the physical part of your relationship, all the physical parts, not just the one, right? But all the physical parts of your relationship as long as you can. Postpone them as long as you can in your life, even though it's not popular. And in each relationship that you have, in each date, in each boyfriend or girlfriend that you go through, postpone the physical part as long as possible. Postpone the holding hands, postpone the kissing, postpone the hugging, postpone all of it that you can as long as you can. As we ask our kids to go a long ways from you're nobody until somebody loves you at age 13 to now people are usually getting married like 27 or something is the average age. So you're dating people for over a decade. That's a long road to walk, folks. And there's a lot of hormones in there that, in, those, in that decade as well that tell you, no, I've got to go further. I've got to go faster. But you say no. And you put on the brakes for the sake, not of yourself, but of your future spouse someday. Practice praying together. Prepare by praying together. Pray with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Is that kind of awkward sometimes? Maybe. 
But work through the awkwardness now so that someday you're married and it's easy to pray with them. And let me tell you something else. When you're dating, pray with them prayers of the your will be done sort. And let me tell you, there's incredible peace that comes with dating someone when you know that you're both praying for God's will to be done with regards to your relationship. There's incredible peace that if it doesn't work out, okay, God's got something better for us, something different for us. If it does work out, you know you've both been praying the whole time that it, not to work out unless it's God's will to work out. And there's so much peace then that comes with tying the knot with someone who you've been praying with. Prepare by serving in your church. Maybe that sounds a little self-serving. Maybe it is. (laughs) But hey, we could use you. And let me tell you, there's a lot of spouses that have found each other while serving in their local church. And lastly, last bit of advice, be a gentleman. Be a lady. Practice those things. Manners are a dying art in this world. Chances are you haven't seen it modeled too many times. So pay attention to the men and the women in this church that act like gentlemen and act like ladies. Learn something from them. And if you have to, go talk to them and say, give me some pointers. Give me some tips. I want to be a gentleman when I date. I want to be a lady when I date. Show me Teach me, you know, about opening a door and where should I sit at the restaurant and where should she sit and what should I do and how does all this work? Ask the questions and practice doing it. Ladies, if he pulls up and honks his horn for you to get out to the car, send your father out with a shotgun. (laughs) Don't tolerate. Demand to be treated like a lady and gentlemen, treat him like a lady. And then someday you'll have a spouse and you'll know all about opening doors. And you'd be surprised at how healthy that is for a marriage. When even when you're not seeing eye to eye and there's a little bit of arguing going on, and you still have manners. That can dissolve a situation that would otherwise escalate. So to sum all this up, If you're out there right now and you're trying to find the right person, you're probably going at it the wrong way. Finding the right person is what the world does because they're looking to profit themselves. But Jesus' way of doing relationships is to look to profit others. And so therefore, we ask a different question and we try to become the person that our spouse would want to marry. And when we're dating someone, we ask... How, how is my future spouse going to benefit from the way I do this relationship? And how is their future spouse going to benefit from the way we do this relationship? I heard this story. I'm going to close with, the, with this. I thought it was powerful. This girl came home to her mom one day in college. And she said, Mama, Mama, I found the perfect man. I mean, he's generous, he's a gentleman, he treats, he just treats all women with respect. He loves God, he loves to serve in the church. He's exactly the kind of guy that I would want to marry. And her mom turned to her and said, Honey, a boy like that is not looking to marry a girl like you.
And for that girl in that moment, according to the teller of the story, that was a, a major pivot point in her life. Because she melted and saw that indeed she was not living to become the kind of person that her spouse someday would want to even marry. It changed her life. And my prayer and my hope for those here today is that you wouldn't have to have such a harsh wake-up call moment. But that you would instead choose now to reject the world's way and start doing dating God's way. And start preparing now to be the spouse that your spouse someday would be looking for. Deal? I'm not saying it'll be easy. And there'll be lots of times that the world will make you feel like you're a loser for not doing it their way. But, you know, Rachel and Kathy in a second are going to sing Whatever It Takes. That's the name of the song. Whatever it takes, God. So would you be willing to do whatever it takes to follow God and do your relationships His way? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for teaching us what real romance looks like. We confess that too many times we have bought into the world's lies about dating. We in the church. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help our young people to have the courage to date your way. Tremendous courage is what it takes, God, in this world that we live in today. Holy Spirit, help them. Fill their lives. Empower them to stand up to temptation. Even when the pressure is on. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.